Good morning. Uh, it's great to be able to, to give this next message in our series this morning on what is church as we continue into uh, this letter to the Ephesians. So I'm going to do straight into read it uh, and then we're going to get moving uh, quite quickly because actually there's a lot uh, to cover here. So two, so chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's just pray and then we'll just move on. So Father God, we ask that you would speak with us, that we would know what are the good works you call us to, and that we would indeed be equipped and able to walk in them. In Jesus we ask. Amen. Okay, we're only in just one verse, but uh, I, I'm not going to dwell on this first part, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I, I, I'm not going to dwell on that um, the sense here of, of actually we are God's creation, we are God's created people and we are renewed in terms of, of, of Jesus Christ. But what I really want to concentrate on this morning is the second part which is crucial to us when we consider ourselves, what are we as church, is that is but we are his workmanship created for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's what we're going to concentrate on this morning. So we are created for good works. Well, our topic is, what is church? So maybe, what are you thinking now? Are we thinking, well, what is church created for good works? I've got a slide here, put that up, and, and what does it say? It says, well, if we're, good, we're created good works and it's about church where are we thinking so what's our immediate thought do we immediately think oh so church is the place we do the good works that's what church is well do we immediately think that and then do we think well hang on a minute no we must be created for more than that because of course yes surely we are created more than that and, and that's what this passage is about so looking at that like an equation, you know, did we go, oh, what is church? Good works. There we go. Two and two equals. And we came up with an answer, but we probably then challenged ourselves. Um, and if we're not then challenged ourselves, we're going to be challenged about this this morning, because this is a challenge that the church has struggled with for millennia. It has struggled with it for a long, long time, and it still does. It's the, what is the nature of God's calling on our lives? What does that look like? How do we understand? Because what we want to do is we want to equip the generations that are growing up into this world. We want to equip them, as this passage says, to walk in the good works that God calls them to. And if we don't equip them, how are they going to be able to do that? So to do that, we, as I say, it's been a, a long history of challenge in this subject, uh, and we are going to have a bit of a skirmish into church history to look at that. But first of all, we're going to go and look at the biblical basis for what does this look like? What are we talking about when we talk about these good works that God has prepared for us in advance? So, so I'm going to make an assumption here, and I think I hope you'll be uh, reasonable with that, that 
if these are God's good works he's prepared in advance, that they are therefore something part of his overall creative purpose. God created the world, he created humanity for a reason, and we're going to, to take the assumption that our good works are connected with that. Now, I think that's a reasonable place to start. So if we start from that, we then say, well, OK, so what are God's creative purposes? What are the good works that God has created and what did he create man for within that? So we're going to go right back to the beginning. If you know me, we often do that because any book, the, the beginning should lead us into the, to the body of the book and the, and the conclusion should wrap it up. And, and we wouldn't read a book that they were abstractly different. The introduction's about one thing and the whole book's about something else and then the conclusion's about something else again. That's not what we're expecting. So when we look at the Bible, the same is true. If we're trying to understand something right here in these letters, we can go back, right back to the beginning and say, what is God's purposes? What are God's creative purposes? So back to Genesis 1, and I'm not going to, to turn to all these. In, I'm just going to sort of capture them, but you may want to look at them if you don't know them very well. So Genesis 1, we see a God create man. He, he calls man to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, uh, to have dominion. But more importantly, in Genesis 2, uh, we move to, to, to Adam, and we see that uh, you know, God calls Adam, he places him in this garden, this Eden, and he calls Adam to work and keep the garden. In effect, man is given this creative uh, mandate to maintain the beauty of what God has created. God creates this beautiful garden, Eden, and he puts man in it and says, I want you to work it and to keep it. Now, of course, it goes on from that. Uh, it goes wrong. We have the account of, obviously, how each and every one of us falls short of being able to stay in that garden in that way because uh, of our, our distrust and our situation. So, so man is expelled from the garden, but the mandate doesn't change. And in anything, the mandate increases because uh, the mandate of man is still to, to look after this. But now it's a bigger challenge because it's not just to maintain the beauty of the garden to which God originally placed us. It's actually now to create and to recreate and to expand that garden so that we will once again find ourselves in Eden. Now, just as a side note here, there is no evangelistic call at this point. Uh, we'll come back to that and obviously we'll talk about Jesus. But at this point in God's purposes, there is no suggestion of an evangelistic call um, to others. OK, jumping to the end, to the other end, we go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, we see a new heaven and a new earth. We see Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Now, thinking about the fact we're talking about what is church, we need to be clear here that Jerusalem is a city. It's a temple. It's not a church. Jerusalem is a temple that comes down. It is God's dwelling place. It is the return of this dwelling of God back onto earth. It's, if you like, the return of Eden into that. So, so, so this, is, this is either end of this story. And the point is that man's calling, God's purposes, God's work that he wants us to do, should fit within that storyline. Because if it doesn't fit within that storyline, then 
There's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem of disconnecting the book. So if we run through, we've not got very much time. And I always suggest if you were with us at Pentecost, um, we went on a journey through the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit. Uh, much of that picks up on calling. It picks up on what the Holy Spirit equips and calls people to do. So we see the prophetic call. We see the leadership call. We see the creative calling uh, and the gifts. We see those creative gifts given out by the Holy Spirit. And those gifts are given to, and at that point in time, it's the, it's the temple again. It's the building and it's the ministry and the maintaining of the temple. Again, point, the temple isn't the church. Uh, the temple is this, is this place that is considered God's dwelling place. It's that creation of that. So the ministry is one of maintaining that creation or upkeeping it. In effect, that, that, that temple was, was made to be a microcosm of creation. The sun and the moon had to be kept alight. The, the sea had to be filled. Um, all these things were part of that. And then, of course, there's the ministry uh, that goes within that. But, of course, when we start to think about these ministry and these priest actions that were going on that people were called to, we then need to consider Jesus. And, of course, Jesus called people to follow him. He called us all to be priests. So this calling is expanded from beyond this. This theory. Jesus, of course, the good works he calls us to are to, to heal the sick and to, and to give sight to the blind, to make disciples. So we start to see this evangelistic call, this call to call others into the kingdom. And it's an expansion of the kingdom. It's Jesus is calling us to expand it in human terms. Not just physical terms. This is now human expansion. But it doesn't replace the creative mandate. It's very, very interesting. Actually, it doesn't replace God's creative purposes. It's in effect, it's a call to gather workers to do the good works that God calls them to. So the expansion of the kingdom in terms of a human expansion is to continue to expand humanly and physically God's kingdom and in doing so there's more people to know God's call and to follow it to walk in it as Paul says in this so it's recruitment from a mission rather than the mission now there's a challenge isn't it because when we often think about mission we think about the evangelistic call but actually I would argue that what's going on here is recruitment for God's mission because God's mission, God's creative purposes are greater than that. They encompass the whole of creation. Okay, so, so that's our whistle stop of Bible. Let's just do a little bit of a delve into the history. Because I say the church has struggled with this for a long, long time. And we can go first to the Reformation, the early 1500s. Uh, we, we, we get Luther. Luther pushing back against the Catholic priesthood, the, the, against the, you, either, you were called either to be a priest or a monk. And if you weren't, you were just what was described as, as the laity. And, and that was the challenge. It, it was this separation of clergy and laity, which Luther pushed back against, that had, had risen in the church. Was it always there? Well, no, actually, it started to rise up probably around the 4th century. This very organised 
church, and, and, and in a way, uh, there's some factors in there that were probably significant. One was uh, Greco-Roman Roman sort of uh, backdrop to it, that there was a separation. In, in, in the Greek world, in the Roman world, there was a very firm separation between spiritual and secular. So that was a very embedded in the culture that Christianity unfolded in. Um, and also, of course, there was a there was a sense of return to the priesthood model, the Old Testament priesthood model that, well, Jesus uh, dismisses this. Jesus sees the temple curtain torn in two. But, of course, human nature is to return to where it came from, no matter whether that's the right place or a good place. So there's a sense of that. And if you've been involved and you look at some of the sort of priestly rituals that's go on even in you know, high Anglican churches and things, you will see that there's much of that is built upon Old Testament uh, priesthood. And there's massive questions. Is, is that God's calling in a Jesus-centred church? So, yeah, so, 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 that sort of, so that's the Reformation in there. It was this real point where this was challenged. So Luther argued that God's calling was universal. The ordinary work was part of God's calling. The divine vocation was the sort of terms they started to use. Um, and actually he argued quite strongly that this was a massive issue because it was the devil's best work to maintain this divide between spiritual and secular. Because the devil could maintain that spiritual divide that actually most of humanity, most of God's people, had no spiritual activity, no kingdom building sense in their lives outside of their two hours a week which they attended the worship and the service led by the spiritual called people. Uh, if you read the Screwtape Letters, there's, there's amazing stuff in there, um, C.S. Lewis Screwtape Letters. Um, and in there, you know, Screwtape says, this is our most powerful tool. If we can keep those people in the, in the pews thinking that nothing outside of this is to do with God and God's calling, then the kingdom can only advance by an hour or two every week rather than advance every day. Now, there's some difficulties in Luther's stuff, and I'd you know, love to talk about this a bit more, but um, some of Luther's views were challenged in terms of the ongoingness of his work because of his annihilationist view of creation. Um, but actually Calvin really came on the back of this. So Calvin, the other great reformer, um, he, he looked at it and he saw that this was about transformation. And he saw that Christ was the catalyst for that transformation. So Jesus Christ was, was transforming the world. But as Calvin noted, the, the transformers, the agents for that, were the people who were in the world. The transformation was happening because of the people in the world, not because of the priests who had separated themselves out of the world. And so, you know, there's this sense that actually the primary movers were all those people. So God's calling had to be to them to see this transformation of culture. Just as an example of that, I, I, I worked for a, for a major airline and I, I was an engineer for many years. And after a, a very near serious accident, which I investigated and um, worked upon, I was then recruited by the safety department who had sort of oversight for safety across the organisation. And after a couple of months of working in that role, uh, you know, I loved it. It was great. But I said to my boss, I said, do you know, I was more useful to you 
when I was working in engineering. That's quite a career-limiting thing to say, but actually I said, you know, I could, I was there. I was able to influence what was going on. I was able to see what was going on. I was able to be the change agent in that place. Whereas now I'm separated. I, it's harder. And I think that's the truth of this calling, and that's where Calvin was, is that we can't do it out there. We can't do it in this separate place. We have to do it uh, as part of it. So, 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 so to pick up on that, we are a reformed church. We are part of uh, a reformed church. And therefore, this is our basis for what we see God's calling. Our basis is that God's calling is a life calling. It's a vocational calling and, and all parts of our life should be part of it. So if that's the basis, is that the way we act? Or actually, more importantly, is it the narrative? Is it the storyline that goes along? Is that the way we think? Is that the way we live? Is that what happens? And I think that's the challenge. And it is the challenge. And you, you read about this. There's people saying we need to finish the Reformation. We had the ideas. We realised the problem. But we didn't actually fix it. We didn't actually change people's mindset to say, do you know what? I've got to understand this is what God calls me to. When I started studying, it was the most impacting thing on me was I recognised my work was my worship. And actually that's very biblically strong because if you go back into the Hebrew, you find the word for work and worship is the same word. And so actually as we are called to work, we are called to worship, we are called to be the catalyst of change in society. But... Is it the narrative? Is that what our young people are growing up understanding or are they understanding something back of that old model? And I'll just give you some examples of why I think that is a real challenge for us. Uh, somebody I know, um, you know, I've known for a few years and we journey together uh, through sort of learning and work and things like that. They, they, they then got a job with a, with a church. They decided they should, this was calling their job for a church. And then I got a, an email, lots of people got emails saying, oh, I'm going to send out a prayer letter every, every month because, you know, I'm doing God's calling. I was just devastated because well, what were you doing the rest of the time? Why did you think this is God's calling and not everything else? Just, all of a sudden I've got a job in a church and that's it. I'm ticking the box. No, biblically, no, it doesn't stack up. It's not supported. And of course, we have challenges, you know, we, we, we challenges, you know, we, we have mission, you know, and it's a challenge for us constantly. You know, we have mission partners and we support them. And we want to encourage and pray for them. But we've got to be really careful and really balance that, because when we, you know, create, we're going to pray, particularly for this mission partner. Are we actually disempowering the rows of missionaries that sit in the building? So what is their mental model that goes out and says, these people are doing mission, I come here on a Sunday and then I go to work. Because actually that's not what we believe. What we believe is actually we're all on mission. So how do we do that? We do want to obviously uh, maintain that, you know, that, that connection and that praying specifically with these people. But, you know, we've got to work that out so we don't disempower people. And also we create another problem, and this is a really interesting one, we create a hierarchies problem. When we place one calling ahead of another, it, it gives a problem. And Jesus 
was so very clear on hierarchy. He didn't support it. He said, always put yourself at the bottom because it will always unravel on you. And COVID's been a great example of this. Uh, you know, it's actually almost quite amusing. So, so in the COVID situation, we realised we needed key workers. We had to protect people and make sure they get to work. So we started off and it was all the care workers and all the hospital workers. These are our key workers. And then, of course, it was like, oh, but now we need food in the shop. So the, all the shop people, they're key workers as well. Oh, but now we can't get the food to the shop. So all the lorry drivers, they're key workers. So we've got all, they're all key workers. And then, of course, it expanded. Oh, actually, the people who fly airplanes, they're key workers because they're flying the, the food and, 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 and the medication around. And, and, of course, as we went on, we realised that this unfolded to everybody. We're now finding out. We're paying the price of not having recognised that people that maintain oil fields and gas fields were key workers. We told them to stay at home because you're not a key worker. But actually, we're now paying the price because the whole system relies upon that. And of course, God's mission is no different. You know, many of our mission partners fly to where they fly to, to where they, where they work. They do that in aeroplanes. Are they any more important? than the person who maintained the aeroplane. In Jesus' eyes, they would say no. Actually, the hierarchy doesn't fit. I just want to stop for a moment. I, um, as we talk about this understanding of calling a little bit, I just want to delve into uh, a colleague that I met years ago when I was uh, you know, full-time aviation work, and he was too, and, and we've connected ever since. Uh, he's in New Zealand. We met once. Um, but we have a, you know, a great relationship. And, and he's just recently you know, been called to, to something else. But it's a great story to hear actually how to understand that calling. So I'm going to pass over uh, now um, and we'll have that video. So, Philip, uh, how long have we known each other? I guess we met when we were both uh, with our prospective airlines. Yeah, in New Zealand and... I don't know, back in the 2000s somewhere, uh, must be in 2011 or something. Yeah, it must be at least 10 years, that's what I'm thinking, um, you know, thing. But uh, So you're just, uh, just about to head out to, to work for math now, is that right? Yeah, just um, heading out to Mission Aviation Fellowship. Uh, you know, I've been interested in aviation and been in the aviation game since I left school at 17 and and I thought I was going to go, I actually got into aviation because I knew about the mission and thought maybe that's where God's calling me. So I did my apprenticeship with Air New Zealand and thought that maybe after five years I'd be off to the mission field in some other part of the world. But uh, that wasn't to be. God had a mission for me for 37 years with airlines. And uh, now after that, in training in various places, God has called us to go and serve with mission aviation. Uh, so... Yeah, an interesting path, really. And God's timing, perfect, I guess, isn't it? You know, your, your expectations are different, but yeah. And one of the um, one of the interesting things for me is that when I uh, was a young fellow and, and thought that I was going on this path, there was a verse from Romans chapter fifteen, verse twenty. It's Paul says, "It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I'd not be building on another's foundation." And I thought that meant mission. I thought that meant overseas mission. But one of the things I've come to realize, uh, and I think God you know, taught me lots, was that Christ is not known in many, many places 
in every part of our world. And so whether it was Air New Zealand as an apprentice engineer or later as a technical services engineer and all the other positions I was privileged to have, or whether it was working for Air Pacific in Fiji or with Boeing in Seattle, everywhere I worked, there were people that didn't know Christ. And he wanted me there to shed the light as a follower of Christ to make him known by my life, by my deeds, and by my words. And so, yeah, that we're called to mission was something that God's been teaching me uh, and something maybe I had to learn from an idealistic point of view. It's the mission field. No, it's not. Our whole world is a mission field, and we're on mission from day one when we come to know him. Yeah. No, oh, that that's, that's brilliant. I, that, that really fits with, you know, what we've been talking about uh, this morning. So, yeah. Oh, thanks so much for that. That was really good. That's cool. Well, thank you for that. That is just it's great. So, so, so Phil is just just amazing to hear that story. That actually, this calling, this sense of calling was, yeah, actually, God was calling you into this, but you've got a long way to go, and there's much, much more I want you to do. And Phil, fortunately, recognised the power of what God was doing in him in his everyday work. He recognised that this is what God was calling him to. And yeah, he had a view that this someday. And of course that someday is now. And actually he's stepping into a role that he couldn't possibly do without the years and years of experience that he's gained. He's stepping into a role that, that he couldn't have done without these things. God's timing is perfect. God's ways are perfect. Our understanding of calling has to be God's understanding of calling, not a very narrow uh, secular, spiritual division. So, so, you know, are these things a problem? Is, is mission the problem? Is priest the problem? No. The problem is the divide. We're not trying to abolish the priesthood or the mission. You know, this is what Karl Barth was very clear. He said, laity, the word laity is the, is the worst word in the, in the religious dictionary. It should be banished. Because we believe we're a priesthood of all believers. We believe that we are all mission workers. In a Reformed church, there's no place for laity. There's no place for an understanding of a division between laity and clergy. There are none who are not priests. There are none who are not sent to missionaries. There are none who are not missionaries sent by God. And, and to go back to the understanding of mission, mission being God's purposes for the world, doesn't simply mean evangelising your friends at work. It means doing what God has called you to do and doing it in a way that glorifies him and builds up the kingdom, builds up Eden again. And so we need to challenge what our work is in terms of that. But as I say, the hierarchies don't exist. The hierarchies don't make any sense. Luther was great at that. He, he, he argued that the person sweeping in the hospital could be no less important than the surgeon or, or the doctor or the nurse because that was crucial. And of course, actually, we learn that. Uh, you know, the, the infections and things like that, they're absolutely huge issues. So these people are vital to us and they are all part of God's people who are all called for good works for his good purposes. So going back to that equation, we put it up. What is church called to do good works? 
So church isn't the place to do those good works. Church is the vehicle. It is the enabler that enables all of God's people. This, this message from, from Paul is, is clear. It's everybody is called to do God's good works. So church becomes the enabler. The church becomes the equipper that enables us to go and do what God has called us to do. Recently someone challenged me. I, I, I met up with somebody and he, he challenged me. He said, you know, what's a good measure of a church? How do you measure whether a church is good? You know, is it like good worship? Is it the number of people that come? The good feedback? What is it? And he said, he said, my view is that the best measure of a church is how well each and every member of that church performs in their primary occupation outside of it. I'll say that again because it's just so striking. The best measure of a church is how well each member performs in their primary occupation. Whether you be a mother, whether you be a teacher, a doctor, whether you be a road worker, a student. Are you doing that? Are you fulfilling that calling the way? Are you walking in it the way that Paul is calling us to walk in it? Because that's the measure of church. This church should enable that. It shouldn't draw you out. It shouldn't suck you out and stop you doing that. So I firmly believe that church is the enabler. Church is the place that we help one another walk in the good works that God has called each and every one of us to do.